2: If we are to see a greater number of women hired or getting promotions, then according to new research, those doing the hiring may have to be classified as quote-unquote liberal. The research done by Temple University's Brad Greenwood and Michigan's Seth Carnahan look at promotions within law firms. And it showed that women are apparently at a disadvantage when their bosses are making contributions to Republican candidates. Brad and Seth, join us on the phone right now. Gentlemen, great to have you on the show. Thank you for calling in. It's
1: a Pleasure to be here, sir. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dan. Thank you.
2: Seth, start with you. First, let's get into how this idea originally came about.
0: Yeah, yeah, so it's a great question. So Brad and I, in our, our research, we're both broadly interested in gender diversity and gender inequality in, in organizations, and this is one of those topics that's you know, both socially relevant. I mean, people care a lot about how women get ahead in their careers. And it's also important for firms and managers because there's quite a bit of research that suggests that uh, firms that are more diverse, have less gender inequality, they may, they may perform better than other organizations. And so then within that kind of broad context, this specific idea had both academic and practical motivation, sort of a real-world motivation. On the academic side, there's a lot of research that uh, suggests that managers' actions can influence gender diversity and inequality among subordinates. So, to be a little more concrete, there's a relatively strong empirical pattern we see in data that female managers tend to hire and promote female subordinates at higher rates than, say, male managers do. And it, and there's other research that looks at managers' political ideology and correlates that with uh, managers' investments and, and strategies. So, a big conclusion in that literature is that, uh, managers that are more liberal have tend to have higher investments in cSR activities things along these lines
2: you obviously Seth in in this research uh, it really looked at law firms but but with that being said is there a possibility you think off of this research that this could correlate out to other uh, sectors of the business community
0: no that's right and and so yeah so so one of the the motivations for this study actually was coming from from the tech community so okay Um, About a year ago, I guess it might have been a year ago or so, uh, Salesforce.com CEO, he's a a well-known liberal political donor. He came out and said, uh, I'm going to institute institute a new policy where I'm going to review the pay of everyone in the organization and try to eliminate uh, gender gaps in pay. And then we also saw Netflix, whose, whose leadership uh, tends to donate to liberal politicians. They came out and had this relatively large uh, uh, announcement about new family leave policies. Yep. And so this, this for us, we saw these these announcements. We kind of had this theoretical motivation uh, from academic research, and we said, you know, let, let's see if this, this pattern holds true. And, and we happen to have access to data on, on law firms.
2: You're talking about Mark Benioff as well, uh, who's the, the CEO of Salesforce.com. Uh, yes. Brad, is this – In doing these firms, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head with with law firms, and you think about the people who are higher up within the firms themselves, is there a little bit of a generational angle to this? Because, you know, you think of a law firm, a lot of times you're thinking about somebody that has been in that firm for quite some time, and the people that are at the top of that firm may be in their 50s, 60s, possibly even 70s uh, in terms of their age.
1: Uh, So I guess there's, you know, two parts. To that, uh, to the answer to the question, you know, first empirically, we try to control for things like age or other observable differences between partners, because our goal is is to kind of soak up all the heterogeneity that exists across these different partners and see, like, really just what's the effect of political ideology in the end. So we sure. try and deal with things like that empirically, uh, but. Honestly, I think this is less of a stereotype issue and more what we would naturally conclude from some pretty deep streams of literature and political science. Uh, So there's some great work in poli-sci, specifically out of NYU, which suggests that the main differences between right and left learning leading people are views on equality and views on the importance of social traditions. And, you know, one of those traditions in the American experience has been gender roles in terms of employment.
2: Yeah. As it's brought up in one of the articles that, that uh, I read and getting ready to, to talk with you both, obviously the the topic of gender inequality, which is a big one, uh, is seemingly plays in, into the research in this area as well, Brad.
1: Yeah, so, uh, this, exactly. You know, so if we think about the idea of gender roles, you know, they've been rooted for better or worse in social tradition. And as a result, you know, the idea of women entering a powerful career like being a lawyer or a lawyer in big law or a partner in big law yeah. does begin to askew those norms in some specific ways. And we would expect based on ideology and these views of the importance of social tradition that different people are going to react to it in different ways. And social conserv- or excuse me, conservatives may be l- more apprehensive about that sort of change as opposed to someone more liberal leanings.
2: We're talking with Brad Greenwood of Temple University, uh, Seth Carnahan of the University of Michigan, the Ross School of Business. Uh, there, we're talking about their uh, report that they put together in terms of looking at law firms and the potential of uh, of advancement of women, uh, especially when the bosses are either liberal or potentially not. Your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton, 844 942 7866. And you may very well have seen a kind of an angle us out there. We'd love to hear from you. Again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Seth, outside of the, of the lack of promotions, you know, the, the data that you collected with many of these firms, are you able to conclude any other effects on, on these lawyers as well? Maybe even maybe even on the firm itself?
0: Yeah, yeah, so these are these are great questions. So two in the in the paper we we also explore two other outcomes. Uh, one is the extent to which uh, partners select associates for their client teams. So when you think about law firms, a, large, uh, a very important way of work is organized is you have organizations, you have practice areas, and then you have client work come through the door. And then uh, partners and associates tend to coalesce in teams around those particular client matters. And, and what we see uh, pretty consistently is that more conservative male partners are less likely to select female associates for those teams yeah. uh, relative to, say, a moderate partner, while uh, more liberal partners are, are more likely to select uh, female associates. Uh, for those teams, relative to, to a more moderate partner.
2: Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you whether you could see data that kind of correlated the opposite—that whether or not there was a a a marked uh, amount of promotions seen through through liberal or through donating to Democratic candidates. Correct?
0: Yeah, yeah. So this is this is one of the interesting things about the paper. So we do see that in practice areas that are predominantly liberal women's uh, odds of promotion uh, increase about 80% relative to practice areas that are, that are relatively conservative. So we do see this, this sort of sliding scale along the ideology. But an important thing to note here is that we still see uh, high rates of gender inequality within these liberal, uh, more liberal practice areas such that women's odds of, of getting promoted uh, relative to men are still uh, something like uh, one-third to 50% lower, even in these more liberal practice
2: areas. Brad, w- with all this data collected, w- what can be done with it? Uh, one paper at a time. Uh. <laughs> okay, <So. laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to put the cart before the horse here, but
1: <laughs> uh, so uh, so th- there. There's a lot of great benefits of these data uh, because they allow us to control for a lot of the extreme minutiae that might be influencing these results or might be causing bias in the estimates. Right. But I think that there's some some really great opportunities for future work, which might come after this uh so the idea of cohort effects so can we actually estimate the how the change is or how how views on gender inequality are changing over time right. are they getting better are they getting worse for whom are they getting better uh, under what situations is are there differences in the evolution uh, I think also diving deeper into these constructs of liberal and conservative, you know, so breaking open that black box. You know, is it is it religious conservatives? Is it social conservatives? Is it fiscal conservatives? And the same is true as liberals. You know, where are we giving beginning to see these effects to a greater or lesser degree? Uh, it, it, I think is an interesting way that we could potentially think about about this work stream or this stream of work evolving.
2: I I, I found it interesting because I, I wanted to ask you about that anyway. Is the fact that The firms that were seen to be ones that would be harder in terms of women getting promotions, uh, just with kind of the, the, the general basis of what a law firm is, the people that are up at the top of the law firm, as I said before, are people that have been there for many, many years. I, I don't know if if with this data at the forefront, you will see an immediate change or even one within the next couple of years because those people that are at the top of the law firm are still going to be there. It may be one that you might see the change in the next 10 to 15 years when some of those partners at the top of the firm start to, start to leave the firm and they start to turn over a little bit, correct?
1: Yeah. So, you know, this is an issue of, you know, some amount of speculation. And I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, on the one hand, there is a general shift towards people coming less ingrained in social traditions over time. So it's pos- and we've seen that over the last hundred years in American political discourse. So it is possible just through the natural evolutionary process of the market, these things will begin to get ironed itself out. But I think it's also important to recognize that we're talking about you know big, big dollars here. You know? So the, the National uh, Law Journal peg Billing and Associates for Somewhere around $400 an hour. I think their estimates range between like like $420 and $250, right? And that's without a lot of the white shoe firms reporting. So this, is, you know, these are big dollars. And if these partners realize that they have an untapped resource out there that that you know, that there's access to attorneys that are currently being underpaid for they're going to begin to exploit that resource. They're going to begin hiring more women into the firm. And so you could actually see a a rapid change if someone identifies that there's this underutilized tool that can be brought into the firm and used.
2: So, Seth, in some respects, though, is this almost like a little bit of a wake-up call uh, for female lawyers in terms of the type of firm that you go to and maybe even the research you're doing when, when you're looking to join a firm?
0: Yeah, So yeah, this is, this is a great question. So for, for us, I think, I think the first thing to note is that in our conversations with lawyers, a lot of them actually, frankly, aren't too surprised by our results. So sure. I don't know that it would uh, necessarily shake, uh, shake, shake folks up too much there. But I think it is, it is something to keep in mind. And also, another thing that's important to emphasize is that there are a lot of resources for lawyers who are trying to learn about these firms before they join them, either as a law student. Or as a, an associate making a lateral move, they can talk to colleagues from law school. There's a, there's a lot of resources out there in terms of guidebooks that tell you about the culture of these firms, and so I think I, I, we we wouldn't necessarily suggest that associates should look at uh, say the political donations of the partners they might be working with, yeah. uh, because there are so many other uh, other ways to kind of get a handle on these uh, the, the firm cultures and things and things like
2: that. Is the data on these firms in general or? specific in terms of the type of firm, and I, I say that because, you know, obviously there are different segments of, of the practice. They're they're practicing different segments of the law. Is there, a, in a, you know, a difference between, you know, say, uh, you know, one type of firm compared to another?
0: Yeah. So we, one of the powerful aspects of the data is that inclusion in the data is not a uh determined by the type of law that you practice. So we have information on lawyers across all different kinds of law. And then we're also able to do uh, statistical things where we can control for those effects. So uh, we're able to to, to kind of net that stuff out. Although one thing we haven't really explored that might be uh, interesting to look at, you know, based on your question is whether these effects are different across different types of law, say IP law or environmental law, things along those lines.
2: And does this have any correlation in terms of of where these firms were uh, in the country, you know, East Coast, West Coast?
0: So we don't see that. So we don't, we don't specifically explore whether the effects are okay. stronger, say, in the southern United States, which tends to be more conservative or, or in more liberal uh, areas on the coast. But we can say that our results aren't really driven by those um, geographic factors. So we're able to net those things out. And we also do some things where, say, we exclude uh, highly conservative areas, say, the former states of the Confederacy from the sample, and the results are similar. Or mm-hmm. if we uh, exclude highly liberal areas, say, New York City or yep. San Francisco. And we see similar results.
2: Yeah, I I was going to ask you, because if you think about the types of areas in the country, there are certainly areas that seem to be more conservative and more liberal. And I didn't realize, didn't know if if there was a direct correlation to that.
0: Yeah, it would be interesting to look at actually whether these these kind of contextual factors, the different uh, the ideology of the overall marketplace, whether it, it has influences on these individual partners' uh, ideology. It's it's definitely an interesting question, one we haven't haven't looked at yet.
2: Brad, you, Brad, you guys also bring up the point that 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 these types of bosses that may fall into this category uh, are also less likely to sit on diversity committees.
1: Yeah, I I think the diversity committee so unlike kind of the majority of the the rest of the empirical investigation where we're looking at uh you know likelihood of being hired likelihood of being turned over or turning over uh likelihood of being promoted i think the the diversity committee really highlights just a different attitude regarding even the importance of the issue and this kind of goes back to the the, the differences on the sides of the political spectrum about the importance of inequality, like is this actually an issue in the minds of people, and a diversity committee, all else equal, is is not an extremely costly thing for people to sit on. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you know, just kind of from first principles, these aren't seen similarly by different by different employers.
2: But are are more women working, you know, or I should say, starting their own firms or working in firms run by women, you know, to kind of take away a little bit potentially down the road of of this bias that may be there?
1: So that's a little bit outside the scope of the paper. Um, We don't necessarily see where where people end up afterwards. But the idea of women in entrepreneurship is is a super hot space uh, in research right now. And there's a lot of research that suggests when people's careers are stymied, they will select out of the organization, either into an organization that will you know, facilitate them to a greater degree, or they'll start a firm on their own. Um, moreover, there's a lot of. You know, a lot of behavior recently has suggested that you're going to have social support groups emerge. So if you take like Silicon Valley, where there are very few female VCs yeah. or female entrepreneurs, you have social groups like Women 2.0 and Women Who Can Code, places like the Hackbright Academy. So these social structures are emerging to try and begin to support people as they as they progress in their careers.
2: And, and you you guys also talk about the fact uh, of being picked for client teams, which obviously is, is a very important issue because – if women are not being picked for these client teams, then the amount of money that they can bring into the firm is quite a bit less. And then obviously that has an effect on, on the promotion as well.
1: Yeah. And it's another nice thing about, about the investigation because it goes kind of from soup to nuts. You know, if you are less likely to be selected for a client team or maybe on the margin you miss out on one particular opportunity, eventually those things do add up and maybe you don't get promoted to partner and then eventually maybe you do select out of the firm due to a lack of opportunity.
2: We're talking with Brad Greenwood of uh, Temple University, uh, University of Michigan, Seth Carnahan as well. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, Seth, I guess since... Can you tell, though, I mean, even though you weren't looking specifically geographically, though, are there potential cities where this could possibly come up because of how that that uh, some cities are considered to be more liberal than others, more Democratic than, than Republican?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we haven't, like I said, we haven't looked at this directly, but I mean, we could speculate on things here a bit, you know, connecting back to what what Brad was talking about before, how competition in the marketplace might reduce these effects. So if you take if you take that idea seriously. If you're in a market, if you're a conservative uh, person in a market that is has more has more liberals in it, it might be harder for you uh, to practice this this kind of to it, I guess I would say impose your tastes uh, when hiring your employees or promoting yeah. your employees and still be competitive in the marketplace because your competitors are less likely to be doing this. So I, I think that might be one uh, that that's one reason why we might expect this to vary across cities, such that the effect could be stronger in more uh, conservative conservative
2: cities. And, and because we're talking about uh, you know. A Gender gap, just in in general, uh, gender pay gap. Uh, seemingly, from from what you guys uh, have looked at, uh, these are types of things that can happen at any point within a, a woman's career. Correct.
0: Yeah, that's right. So we see uh, pretty consistently that the, the promotion effect is occurring later on in the, in the, in the uh, woman's uh, tenure. So ten- generally, promotion decisions are made uh, from year five through 12. And that's, that's where we tend to see this effect, whereas the turnover effect that Brad is talking about, where we see higher rates of gender inequality and turnover uh, when when uh, associates are working for more conservative partners. These effects are consistent throughout uh, the associate's tenure. So we don't necessarily see you know a spike in exits early in the tenure and then a decline in exits uh, further on down the line. It tends to be pretty consistent uh, throughout their time with the firm.
2: Your data uh, runs uh, in this report up to 2012. Uh, I'm guessing that... Uh, while you would hope that that you would see changes if if you carry this data forward over the next three and a half years to where we are now, uh, but I'm guessing that you're not a, you wouldn't be expecting a whole lot of change in the data from 2012 to 2016. I think
0: you're right. I mean, we have we've done some preliminary analyses looking at the the trends in the data, you know, from 2006 to 2012. What our, our data currently cover, we don't see much change over time and so I, I don't think that there's been a very large shock that would expect us uh, to predict that that trend would have changed in the last four years either
2: and Brad you were actually uh, one of the quotes that you made in uh, in one of the articles uh, talked about uh, what exactly might be the right level of diversity within a firm and that's that's something that that's you really don't have a good handle on correct?
1: So actually, I'm going to punt that question okay. over
2: to Seth. Okay, that's that, that's actually his quote. <laughs> okay. Oh, I I apologize. Seth, go ahead.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, sure. So this is one of these uh, this is one of these these notes where we have to kind of emphasize that we don't necessarily know what the right level of diversity is for particular organizations, and these these partners could be making uh, choices or trade-offs that help them compete. So say they they institute a more Aggressive, male-dominated culture that maybe, uh, in their particular uh, client set or their particular city, allows them to be successful, but it has this downside effect of uh, not being a, not encouraging a, a practice area where women want to work. And so, for us, it's hard for us to necessarily say that the effects uh, that we observe will ultimately uh, result in lower firm performance because, you know, these partners are are making trade-offs and optimizing on a lot of different a lot of different choices.
2: But but it does have the potential to change. I would think. Over the next 20 to 30 years, because of how, how seemingly we're seeing a lot of change in other segments of the business world, where we're seeing more women executives right now, obviously there's still a gap to be filled. But, but one would think that the changes in other segments will eventually have the potential of making that change, at least in, in, the, uh, in the area of law firms.
0: That's exactly right. And, and something we do see, there's been uh, pretty good research on this uh, by Christine Beckman at uh, the University of Maryland where Brad and I both uh, did our, our PhD and also uh, Damon Phillips at, at Columbia University. And what, what they show is that law firms are more likely to promote female associates as their clients have more female leadership. And so we could expect to see you know these feedback loops that you 're describing over time uh, such that when uh, you know large s and p five hundred firms start promoting women, it puts pressure on on law firms to also do the same, and that could
1: that could um, over time uh, iron
0: out some of these differences that we see
1: yeah so i I think that that's uh, that's certainly going to happen we hopefully will see. Uh, a continued evolution in the workplace where we begin, uh, where equality becomes more and more to the forefront. Uh, I think what's also important to recognize, and I think Seth mentioned this earlier, is that a lot of the discussions that we're having in the popular press are almost from theological viewpoints right. on whether or not ideology is really an issue, uh, and they're not based on concrete data where we're getting you know reasonable estimates of the actual differences. And if we don't do that, you know, if the if the conversation or discourse isn't based on on substantive ideas or, or really rigorously done studies, that's a potential problem um, because it just gets everybody off track.
2: Gentlemen, it's very interesting uh, research that you did. Thank you both for, uh, for coming on today. Greatly appreciate your time.
1: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.